Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, helping individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. So I had a speaking event this last week, and as I have mentioned before, every time I get up to speak, I get nervous. No matter how long I've doing, been doing this kind of thing, I get nervous. So I was not really prepared, although I knew the content because I had talked about this topic before, and I'm right getting ready to get up there and talk, and I start having these doubts in my mind. They're going to judge me. They're not going to like me. I'm going to mess up. It's not going to go well. I, you know, I'm going to, the president of the company is going to be in the audience and then I'm never going to get a speaking gig. I mean, all these crazy things kind of pop into my mind and I have this routine that I go through and I say, if I can help one person, it's worth it. I don't know what kind of impact I'm going to have today, but it's about these people. It's not about me and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy this whole experience. And so today in this podcast, what we're talking about is, is dealing with, is performing under pressure. How do you get out of your head and perform under your, under pressure? And I'm actually interviewed today on the Feel Better, Be Better podcast. And two of my friends, Caitlin and Nevada, interview me on this topic. And we got some great, great content that you're not going to want to miss. So this is the Decide Your Legacy podcast. It's the podcast that you do, not just listen to. If you haven't already done so, make sure you Give us a like, rating, review on Apple or Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast content. I like all my listeners to know that when I talk, I speak and communicate in a way that you could describe it to your six-year-old and your six-year-old is going to understand the content. I also talk about stuff that I struggle with myself. I struggle greatly with performance anxiety still to this day. Not as great as I did in the past, but it depends on how much sleep I got the night before, how well I'm doing. I struggle. I'm a fellow traveler. I challenge you to listen, not just as a student and a consumer, but also to listen primarily as a teacher. Something from today that inspires you, you're going to teach to somebody else. You're going to put it into action because that is where transformational clarity comes. That's where change actually happens. 30% is based on insight. You're going to get insight today. And 70% is action. You taking action. I would like to remind you to click the link in the show notes for Shatterproof Yourself. This is seven steps to deciding your legacy. It's a video and workbook that you're not going to want to miss. And you will end going through and watching this video and going through this workbook with transformational clarity. You will start the process of transforming your life. You will only get access to that if you click that link and subscribe through the link in the show notes. So let's go ahead and jump right into the content. You are going to get some great information from my friends today. So one of the, so one of the girls that we coach or whatever she's down in oklahoma playing with a guest team one of the first times they ever did it it's kind of cute though the girl and the parents both like asked us for permission i mean which is i mean awesome you know they respect us that much to do that yeah but i mean we're like no go please i hope things yeah. work out great you know what do you need or whatever it was really interesting it was really kind of funny how it went we were on the way over here like text them find out what happened or whatever you know i want to see how they're see how she's doing and so that's why she's, I guess she struggled a little bit. So I was like, okay, Kate was like, I'm going to ask him a video for of her, of, their, of her batting. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, have to send it over. So I was just checking to see if we actually got the video yet. She didn't play till tomorrow morning though. So okay. that'll be the earliest. But yeah, her one at bat, she didn't do so hot in. And it was like, okay, well, let's see 
if it was your swing was fine and you're just in your head or if you're just behind or if something breaks down in your swing or what's going on and, you know, a whole different dynamic with different girls and different coaches. And there's a lot there. Well, it's a lot of it's a lot of mentality on that. I mean, which is kind of why we're here to talk today. Yeah. You know, I mean, we kind of really want to bring you on and and because we deal a lot of times with the players and 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 their parents. Yeah. And that's kind of a tough thing between, you know, as kids are growing up, you know, you got a lot of dads that are coaching. You got a lot of kids that are trying to impress and everything like that. So I kind of want to just I want to hear your side of it. I know it's not I wouldn't say it's your I don't know if it's your specialty, but I think you definitely could have a very yeah. unique perspective from it. Well, there's a lot of pressure for sure, you know, and performing under pressure can come from external sources like your parents, you know, or can come from inside. And I think it's really better when it comes from inside, but it's the right kind of pressure. I think in psychology and performance psychology, there's a, I mean, a ton of studies about how people do better when they relax and when they learn to just let go. So it's almost an inversely, well, there is, there's an inversely proportional relationship to expectations that others have for you and that you have for yourself and your actual performance. Mm -hmm. So you can see people's stress level decrease significantly as their expectations become healthy I'm not saying to have no expectations at all, but they become healthy, realistic. Mm -hmm. And they're also based on something internal that is like, this is my definition of success. You know, so if you go out and you do your best and you learn and practice these new tips that you've been given from your coach and you end up letting go, and even though it didn't go exactly the way you wanted it, it's been a successful at bat or it's been a successful game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, similar thing is where you you know, go to get lessons for golf and the golf, great golf PGA tour pros and, or yeah, the ones that the teaching pros will tell you to, you know, don't think about what I'm teaching you when you get out actually on the course, you know, let go and then just do your thing. And, you know, I mean, if you do in the golf cart, you think about whatever that tip was, but you know, when you get to swing, let go, mm -hmm. let go. So, I mean, this is a great topic. I mean, the way, cause it relates to not only to sports, but anywhere in life where you feel some type of pressure to perform, whatever it may be. I mean, I'm sure you guys feel in your jobs at times pressure to perform, and it could be external. It could actually be the parents putting pressure on you potentially. Oh, we're paying you, you know. Or, or the boss. Or the boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So somebody, and a lot of times too, the pressure we put on ourselves, and this relates to kids and adults so much, is that it's manufactured. It's, I love it. <laughs> There's a, Big book for Alcoholics Anonymous. It has old writing. I mean, it was written in the 30s, and it calls it the magic magnifying mind. I think that's a great term for how our minds can function when we feel like we have this pressure that really is unhealthy. It's it's pulling things out of thin air. You know, they're judging me. They're looking at me. If I don't succeed in this game, then I'm a failure for the future. And it's the magic magnifying mind, which is extremely powerful. And it comes from so many aspects of somebody's life. I mean, from their childhood all the way up to negative experiences they've had as adults, to situations where things didn't actually go well. I mean, I think of pro athletes at times. Like I remember this guy for the Oakland A's, which is my favorite baseball team. He got his big, you know, contract. I mean, Davis was his last name. It was a couple of years ago, actually. And he went from hitting, you know, 40, 50 home runs a year, I believe, to just after he got the contract, he just, I don't know whether it was him doubting himself or whether it was the actual contract and the pressure was taken off so he didn't have any external pressure or internal pressure. But some pressure is good. It's just this happy medium where you can find this healthy level of expectation. 
Well, it's kind of one of those things where you you want to you kind of have to focus and not focus at the same time, which is one of the hardest things. It's like I want to be able to focus like on this one little thing so I don't get so crazy on all of the things. Absolutely. You know, if it's one little thing that you're working on to improve and that is OK, if you can still get up to the plate and let go of it. I mean, because if that's going through your mind, then you're not really focusing on the ball. And I didn't play baseball. I mean, I played football and basketball. So a lot of my references is going to relate to a different sport and I play golf some, you know, although the guy that records his podcast is a, is a good golfer. I'm not really a good golfer. <laughs> so, but very similar, but I think of a lot of times when I speak, I mean, cause when I get up on stage, I'm always nervous and I'm always nervous for a podcast. I mean, even this today, I was driving over thinking, gosh, you know, what am I ever going to get rid of the nerves? And no, I mean, but the self-talk that I have can make a huge difference if I'm aware of it. This is the normal thing for my mind to do to try to keep me safe. And I can start telling myself the truth. And I mean, I basically was getting up to bat the other day, speaking to a big company in town, to their human resource department. And I wasn't prepared. I mean, I was prepared because I knew the content. I'd spoken about it before, but I didn't spend time in advance preparing. I woke up. I got some things done. I was there on time. I was able to interact. And I was about to kind of get up on stage in front of everybody. And I was thinking the normal kind of stuff, like I'm going to be, I'm going to fail. They're going to judge me. Somebody's going to go away from here and say something <laughs> negative about me. Yeah. Sorry. It's exactly what yeah. you expect when you're bringing you in to talk. I'm like, yeah, like you're, you're, you're totally going in there going, I'm going to fail. Absolutely. I mean, I do it because my mind is no different than anyone's mind. I mean, I'm a fellow traveler. I have the same yeah. struggles and it doesn't actually ever go away. I mean, it's just that I've learned to talk back to it because I have yeah. this narrative that I say, you know, if I help one person in the audience, it's worth it. I have valuable information that they're not necessarily going to have. They're no better than me. I'm no better than them. I can have fun. Sure. Who knows what kind of life this information could change. I'm going to let go and I'm going to let go of the results, which I find is a really huge concept when it comes to performing is because the outcome is not that important. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure it is. If you're, you know, tied in the ninth inning in a major league baseball game and yeah. you, know, it, you say that, but well, it's not a wild card game. Come on. I mean, you well, no, no. <laughs> you're right. But the whole idea on that one is you still, it's baseball. You just got to hit the ball hard. You really don't necessarily control where it's going to go. You don't know. You can't control how other players are at. You can't control how the way they make the, the way they field it. So your, your whole mission the entire time is still hit the ball hard, yeah. which is, I mean, it's hard enough. I'm not saying there isn't pressure, but really when you boil it down, it's that simple. It's that simple, but it's one and done. So, I mean, it's like tonight, the guy hit a pressure shot. Three strikes. Well, you do, <laughs> but I mean, we just watched fi the final four and the guy hit a, you know, buzzer beater shot to win. I mean, yeah. but they're done. The whole tournament's over for them if they lose, obviously. Yes. So, and I love those wild card games in the NBA and in major league baseball. They're so fun to watch because of the pressure but you find that the people that do the best really don't have the same kind of pressure that we think they have. They're just doing, they're getting up to put, they're doing what they already know how to do and they're trusting themselves. Well, see now I kind of got to bring it back. Cause there is, there's a, there's a technique that I do, especially in, in baseball, softball and nine times I didn't, Kate can chime in on this one, but I, especially as I tell a story, I had a kid I was coaching for years, very fundamentally sound. I was friends with his dad. We worked for years. So, I mean, he really, he really did about everything right. And his head got in the way. Yeah. Stop me when you've heard this story. Well, I I, I kind of had moved on. I wasn't able to coach him that next year. And so all of a sudden, the dad is texting me. He's like, hey, something's wrong with, you know, with, with his swing or whatever. Can you can you maybe come take a look? And I'm like, sure. Kind of busy, though. Can you send me a video? Sends me a video. I look through it real quick. Swing looks perfect. There's nothing wrong with this kid's swing. And I'm not, not surprised at all. He's, he's a great hitter. 
So I text him back and I say, okay, tell him to go a little wider in his stance, open it up a little bit and really focus on a light step. Stop smiling. <laughs> it's always wider stances. You sound like a PGA, you know, professional yeah. at a golf course. <laughs> giving but, lessons yeah but anyway so a couple hours a couple hours goes by and he texts me back he's like oh my lord how did you see that he hit amazing after that and i died laughing and i didn't i told him i was like i'll explain to you when i see you because i wanted to make sure we were face to face when i told him this and i'm like your kid's swing is perfect it was just his head and i was like and he goes okay well well why did you change something on him and i was like because i wanted to give him something he could control and focus on that would get his head yeah. out of messing with this whole thing. Yeah. And that's what I try to do sometimes on some of the players where I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to just change a slight little thing. So you focus on that and you and forget about advice. everything behind. That's great advice because when someone's really highly anxious, they have to do something physically active in order to get out of their head. Cause you, when you're stuck in your head, you're away from all the other senses that you have touch, mm-hmm. hearing, you know, sight, visual, everything is in this mental process. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody can just do 20 push-ups or 10 dump, jumping jacks, that's the way it works with our body. If we get some kind of active engagement, mm-hmm. we're going to physically, and there's really no way around it. We will start getting out of our head if we do it. The problem is people don't do it. They think they're going to think their way out of a thinking problem. Yeah, You can never think your way out of a thinking problem. And I will say that a lot of times people who... Because you go back to why do people perform well in these tough situations? Those people that get up to bat in those high pressure situations, they are focusing before they get up to bat on their successes, not their failures. Mm-hmm. They have disciplined themselves to think this is exciting. I know the game's on the line. I know it's nine nine, and if we lose, we're out. You know, we're not. This is a wild card MLB playoff game. But they're thinking about all the times they've had successes in their life. I mean, maybe not a hundred percent, but eighty percent of it, and that's where you get the excitement. I would, I would completely agree with you, but I bet they're almost going through every scenario. Like if the guys, if, like I'm going to see the pitch come out of the hand. So I'm going to see when the fastball is going to be coming, looking like this. And that's what it's going to, I'm going to see it coming in. I'm going to see it coming in this angle. When I see a curveball, that arm angle on that one, and it starts coming in a different way. I'll bet you money. They're going through all those things of like, Absolutely. if he does this, I'm going to do this. If he does this, I'm going to do this. But all of those are the ways to be successful. Not, oh my Lord, what if he does this? You know, they're, they're not thinking that negative thing. They're going, they're I'm not, do this. no, exactly. Do this. And they've trained and they've prepared. And that's really the difference between trying and training. I mean, the training is so important. Mm-hmm. Life is a process. And if people and your students and your, I mean, people you're coaching, they understand and their parents understand it's a process. I mean, find joy in the process, not the actual mm-hmm. result. Let go of the result. I mean, the result's going to come if you train the right way. <laughs> Sorry. Train consistently. <laughs> yeah. Me and her over here are constantly just like people are like, throw the ball to them, you know, or whatever. You're like, I'm pretty sure the kid wasn't trying to throw the ball away from the person. I mean, like they're trying to throw it to yeah. them. That's not helping anything. Right. They're, they're, they're trying and, you know, and then they can let go. I love when people celebrate and even parents and I mean, coaches even celebrate the fact that somebody failed because they did get out there and do it, take a risk and do something different, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. I mean, so if you get people outside of softball, baseball, whatever you're coaching, and you get them to do something where they're going to fail in another area, it can help them tremendously in this sport as well. I know Kate's actually working on a program of what are the type of failures we want to celebrate on the team we're coaching right now. Are you going to let me talk finally? Finally. You guys are going to like close your mouths for a minute? No. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually, I mean, a lot of the stuff we build is to build in areas that are challenging enough that you're going to have failure because we want to see how people adapt to it and learn from it. And it's a huge part of it. So, I mean, we have drills that people build up confidence with and can do correctly too, but 
failure is a big part of it. So how do you celebrate failure when they fail? Well, mostly it's just really praising their effort for being willing to try. A lot of our players, they'll get all timid and not want to try new things. But when we've been able to put them in situations like, for example, with our hitting circuits in the fall, we've done opposite hand hitting in a lot of our drills. And for a lot of kids, that's very scary, especially when you're older, like 14 years old, because you know you're going to suck at it. I mean, there's no getting around it. It feels unnatural. It doesn't like it's not your normal hand. And it's so interesting that when you tell them like, nope, I just want you to work on coordination. It's I'm not expecting you to be necessarily good or hit it like that in a game. And then they try it and then they're like, oh, I'm not as bad as I thought. And then you've got like this, okay, I'm willing to try more. And so even though they're not great at it and it's not like a success for them, they're willing to buy into like, okay, I probably am not going to be successful at that my first however many times, but I know I'm going to be able to work at it and get better at it. And that's such a different philosophy than society often portrays with the pressure we put on people. It's like this instant success. And you've never really seen somebody that's an instant success. You just think you actually have. You perceive that, you know. So, I mean, like John Wooden, the famous basketball coach, you can look and say, oh, yeah, he won nine national championships, I think eight in a row, Mm -hmm. I mean, for UCLA. But he had a significant amount of losing seasons prior to actually getting to that point. And he was almost fired. And he, But he stuck with it. And that's the big difference between training versus trying. I mean, you're training because you know that if I keep consistently doing this, the results are actually going to come. Trying is a bad word. In my, I mean, if someone says I'm going to try. I don't really like, I mean, trying is great. I mean, try your best and all that. But overall, it's like a philosophy of improving. I find that to be a discouraging word. Yeah, I, I like I like the fact that you use training. Training, yeah. I mean, it's not a bad word to use. Like, you'll, you know, as, as like, go up and try for me. and be like, <laughs> all right, I want you to go up and train. Yeah, I mean, go up and train because that way you're, it's the process, not the outcome. Yeah. You're letting go of the outcome. And eventually you're going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, eventually if you train and you do it consistently, although I still haven't gotten good at golf the way I want to. I have this goal though of being able to shoot consistently in the 80s by the time I turn 50, which is in six months. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm going to need some real help from Mr. Podcast Guy Brian to well, get there. I, I, <laughs> I, I think you, I think you just didn't realize your training program was a 20 year program and not a 10 year program. I did not play golf as a kid. I didn't start until my, I was in my forties. So, I mean, it's, it's all right. I can give myself some grace there, yeah. but I didn't even want to go out and hit golf balls today. I didn't go out and hit golf balls today because I was going to be embarrassed within myself because I knew that it was going to be a struggle today. And it was a really nice day. But I did do something that was scary today. I went to an improv class. It was an hour and a half. And there was a teacher that had us do these improv activities. Mm -hmm. And one of them, in fact, was when you mess up, you celebrate. You go, you know, and you clap. Mm -hmm. And they had that aspect to it. Nice. And I was like, I got to bring every one of my clients to an improv class. This is super (laughs) fun. And I went and saw, actually, I went to the, like, improv place called Second City in Chicago about a month and a half ago. And that was amazing. I mean, those are professionals, of course, but mm. this was like super encouraging psychologically because it had all the right principles in place, which is that people go and they start believing in themselves. Because you can look at somebody that is in a student and for my daughter, for example, you know, she can and has had some struggles with one with getting parts in a play. I've talked about this before. She's been OK with me talking about it. And I've been really proud of her because when she's had setbacks in discouraging situations, she's never given up. She's seen that as a process, not the end result. In fact, more motivation. I sense the motivation that I'm going to get better and prove people wrong, prove the doubters wrong. Although that's kind of a bad form of motivation if it gets out of hand. Yeah, it can be. It can be good if it's 
if it's tempered, like anything. I'm curious with your daughter. So do you do things of like, okay, so what did you learn on this scenario? I mean, do you guys yeah. get into that kind of stuff or? Oh yeah. I mean, I do. I try to listen and what did you learn? And so, and you know, what is your plan? Try to get her just to talk, whatever it is and feel safe mm-hmm. because she, she has a really good GPA. I mean, she's getting like, she has like a four, two right now. She's a sophomore and doing really well in school. And I give her, and I know I'm cheap. I actually told a friend this yesterday. I gave her 10 bucks an A and he's like, dude, Adam, you are so cheap. You forgot about inflation over the last two years. What are you doing? <laughs> so, over so the last I, two years? Over two? the last three years, whatever. But, you know, so I'm going to give her more than that. But I did text her when she told me she got straight A's again. I said, I said, Emerson, you know, if you get all A's or if you get all F's, my love for you and my acceptance of you doesn't change at all. It has nothing to do with that. You know, I love you just the way you are. And then she read it and then she, you know, she loved the comment. But mm-hmm. I thought... What a great, I mean, that, that, I will just blatantly being honest with you. I talk to friends a lot about how to be a good dad. I mean, it's not like the easiest thing in the world. So I get tips from other friends that are good dads. And I meant every word I said, I will tell you, I've gotten advice from really good places on how to approach some parenting situations. And that's really what I want my legacy to be is people are remembered that I valued them not for their performance, but for who they are. Mm -hmm. And when, Players get that from their parents. I recently heard Adam Sandler interviewed, and he was just talking about how when he was growing up, his siblings and his parents, they were consistently, I mean, he had kind of the ideal situation with family situation because they were consistently telling him, because he wanted to be funny. I mean, he was fun, naturally funny, but they were telling him, like, you're funnier than Rodney Dangerfield, man. You're, 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 the, you're the funniest guy we know. We know you're going to be successful. You know, mm-hmm. so he grew up with this affirmation and it wasn't like flattery. You know, I mean, he legitimately had talent, but I think of all these people that don't grow up with that kind of affirming environment. And he was really blessed to have that kind of thing. And then ultimately went on to have a, and still has a very successful career. But regardless of the home environment you have, even if you don't have that kind of love and acceptance, you can still perform at a very high level. Cause some people use the fact that they were criticized and that they were judged in their home and they were made fun of for being, you know, a comedian or artistic and when mm-hmm. the family was athletic or whatever. And they had negative, they had negative feedback. They've used that to say, Hey, I can rise above it. And I'm more powerful than that negative feedback. And, you know, almost becomes their motivation. It becomes their motivation. It can be a very healthy thing. It's like, that's not true. I mean, they are doing the best that they could. That was their background. I'm going to forgive them and they love me, but they just didn't know how to do it the right way. Adam Sandler's parents did for some reason. But they just didn't know how to do it the right way. And they end up saying, you know, I believe in myself regardless of the aff- of not having the affirmation mm. growing up. Well, I think that's an important thing for parents to hear, too, because so many of our parents are very well-intentioned, but can put so much pressure on their kid. For It feels like the performance, and that might not be their intention when they're talking to their kids. But it can feel very much like the, the performance is what matters. Yeah. And as players, they can really yeah. internalize that. Yeah. And so I guess kind of talking to those parents, you know. Oh, man. Talking <laughs> or scolding. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you know, I mean, if I think about those parents, you if you spot it, you got it. So it's like they are often reacting to something that they have in themselves that they haven't worked all the way through. So they have some level of my value comes from my performance. So I'm going to put pressure on my kids to get that kind of love and affirmation from the world when they're not able to give it to themselves mm-hmm. in the way that they need that therefore would let them have the ability to give it to their kids. 
So, you know, the most important relationship anybody ever has is the relationship they have with themselves. That's mm -hmm. just barn on the most important relationship. And what you do is a reflection of what you think of you. So what you do is a reflection of how you feel about yourself. And so people that truly are confident and not arrogant, but they just believe in themselves, like me as a dad. I mean, I am, I don't believe an arrogant dad. I don't believe I'm even a confident dad. I believe I'm doing the best I can. And that gives me this sense of, you know, okay, I'm confident. I mean, it's like a, it's like a confident, non-confident kind of thing. <laughs> you know, Call every moment <laughs> I'm confident while trying, I'm training, I'm confident, I'm training, you, you know, go. and I'm staying in the game. And regardless of what happens and what I hear and the setback and the challenges, I'm staying in the game. And that can help me rest at night saying, okay, this is, but it comes from this ultimate belief that, okay, I, I'm good enough. You know, I wouldn't have this 16 year old daughter if, I didn't have the ability to be a parent and handle the situation. Mm -hmm. And the self-talk that I give myself is a lot better than it had. I mean, it depends on kind of the life circumstances. I mean, when I went through some challenging situations over the last five, six, seven years, you know, of course my self-talk is impacted by that. Cause it's like, well, how did I get myself into this? You know, you loser, what's wrong with you? No one else has this struggle. It's personal, <laughs> right? No, no one else has this struggle. Everybody always like, says that. It's like, it's like well, whatever. because we personalize it. It's like, you know, no one can relate to this. Yeah. And, and no one actually is going to love me anymore or care. I mean, it is the reality is that like when we are at our worst and we're emotionally vulnerable. So think about when you wake up in the middle of the night worrying, which people do oftentimes. And the reason when they wake up in the middle of the night worrying, it's hard to kind of get out of that is because their brain's tired is because in just after a good, not getting a good night's sleep, your brain's tired. I mean, you're more apt to being negative, especially after two nights of not getting good sleep. And the big negative self-worth things that I think these parents struggle with because they're human, just like me. I mean, is that I'm not good enough. Like I'm unworthy, you know, I'm helpless, I'm unlovable. I need to show the world that I'm worth loving rather than saying to themselves, you know, I'm powerful, I can handle it. Mm. I can get through this. Yeah. I am worthy. Sorry, I think of, I think of all the scenarios started this like whenever i get in that situation where i see a parent that is getting very yeah. frustrated with their yeah. kid because they want them to be almost yeah. perfect little people which i mean would be great of course but what i do is i usually try to go over there and i try to get a chance where i talk to them get them after they're a little calm be like you know if we can get their feet we can get their feet set i have to start laughing <laughs> that's the solution to everything get their yes, feet set always but if we can get their feet set and line up they'll throw a real good yeah a real good pitch or i mean or whatever sport we're in if we can get their yeah. base set on this or whatever so let's really focus on that and maybe then we can get away from doing like i just need you to be good you know i that's i think that's the big thing i always try to go back and try to yeah. make it more of a conversation because if you try to be like oh don't tell them that tell them this now you're become an adversary with the parent almost absolutely and you can even talk about something totally unrelated to softball and that could be better than actually talking about the actual strikeout or whatever it is they're frustrated about so mm -hmm. you talk to them about you know, they got a Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirt on and what'd you think of the Super Bowl or something, mm -hmm. you know, gets their mind off of actually focusing hyper-focus because that's what anxiety does. I mean, that magic magnifying mind, it hyper-focuses on something and we put so much pressure on that one situation and it becomes a safety issue. Like my child's safety and their future is dictated by how well they do in this specific situation. When that's a fallacy, I mean, that's not true. It's totally untrue. In fact, I find most parents will respond really well just to seeing really good, solid, performance psychology, performance psychology research. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what's out there? Because that data will clearly indicate that when people 
put a stress level on a scale of one to 10 and the performance stress is like at a 10 that their child's performance is going to decrease significantly. Yeah. That they have to realize that if they can help their child have confidence, true belief in themselves, and then be able to shake off the failure, not defining failure as a bad thing, actually finding it as a part of the process, Yep. you know, then they're going to help their child see that, you know, it's just softball. It's like, it's just money. It's like, it's just, I mean, there are some things that are really important, like your health, you neglect it, you can ruin your health and that's not a good thing. I mean, it's a life, mm-hmm. but some things are external and of course they relate to life and they're important and they have value, but your value as a person is a thousand times more important than this in success in softball. Sure. And the crazy part about that is once people start believing that, what do you think happens to their softball skills? Well, they get better. They get better. Yeah, they get better. <laughs> yeah exactly. Sorry, I I'm like, I, I can't they even get say better. anything. It's going to be better. <laughs> well, it, that's the law. That's absolutely the whole thing. You know, I was thinking today as we were preparing for this, because I was, I did not play football in middle school. I started playing football in high school and I was not a great football player. I was a decent football player. I was, mo- I was voted most improved my senior year. I was a hard worker. I've always been a freaking hard worker. I'm the guy that can go and do the work. Sure. I'm not afraid of doing the work. I'm not afraid of the training. It, I did not play outside linebacker, I don't believe, for any play the entire season until this last game. That was significant. Basically, I would go in at the very end of the game, you know, when the score was not on the line. But the outside linebacker who I backed up got hurt. And Teddy Bruschi played on the other team, which he went on to have a great NFL career with the Patriots. Yeah. And he was like the big name guy in, he was a year older than me, but a big name guy in Sacramento football. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm playing. And we had to win this game to go to the playoffs. And so I get in and of course they run an option right at me because they see that I'm brand new in the game and the quarterback keeps the ball. And I had the quarterback and I crushed him. Absolutely. And he fumbled and we recovered. It was like my, that's my, that's my high school football. So you retired memory. at that point? I, I wish I would have, because then I played and I started my senior year and all that. And I went on and I had a good, good year, but I remember that I was not prepared to go in. I didn't think about it. I didn't have to worry about it. Everything was just in that moment. Okay. You're going in, Adam, Greg, you're getting in, you know, and the game was on the line and I made a play. And of course, everybody was super excited about it and celebrated it and was great. But that, didn't have time to let fear sit in mm-hmm. when, when I was a senior and I was playing and I knew I was going to start, I let fear sit in and it hindered my performance significantly. I think now I had some serious anxiety yep. that held me back all throughout my senior year and could have been a much better player had I known what I know now. It's really hard to let go on that one. It's I mean, bad, you, you know, you, yeah, well. you really want to, you want to perform so well. Yeah. You just can't stop. <laughs> so, You're just going to work yourself hey, all the way up. I put a lot of energy into it. You know, I was big. I weighed a lot more than I weigh now. And, but, you know, got better at it in some ways. But the psychological part, I didn't really get better at my senior year. I've gotten better at that as I've gotten older and through failure, just through picking myself up. I mean, at times when I've wanted to give up because some of the big failures in my life, which I do believe are really significant, I went through a divorce. I mean, it's, Things that I can look at and say, gosh, I wish things were different there. I can look back now and say, okay, you know, I don't wish that upon anybody. I still don't know say why it happened. I believe there's a bigger plan, you know, that my faith helps drive me with that. I don't understand it, but it certainly is a big part of that, what I do. It's a different kind of training you went through. It's a different kind of training. And I can look at it now and say, okay, okay, what can I do with this to help other people? Mm -hmm. And when it's off of me, because that's the thing, when I'm, somebody's worried about performing, they're really focused on themselves. That's what they're focused on. And I don't want to call people selfish 
because I believe it's important to be selfish. I believe you're the most important person you should be taking care of because you can't help anybody else, anybody else out unless you're taking care of yourself. First, you got to take care of your, yourself. People hate hearing that sometimes because they want to just give, give, give. Some people do like to, but even in that situation, they're generally being selfish because they're getting their identity out of giving to somebody else. You know, this is where you see parents that are, you know, 65 and they are still involved in their kids' lives at a mm -hmm. level that they shouldn't be involved in. You know, they're making, helping them make decisions that they shouldn't be helping them make. And it's almost like a they're vicious, getting their identity from that child who's 30 years old, you know? It's almost so. like a vicious cycle on that word. Cause I mean, even the child's probably feeling a little bit of that too. Like you're saying, is they're giving them their faces, they're in there trying to do good so that that way they can seem like they look good in front of their, uh, their parent or whoever else. And they're feeling that. So then they're putting on more in, you know, pressure and looking there, trying to encourage them more, the more encouragement then Oh, I got to do better. And it's almost like it continues to keep cycling on itself more and more and more almost. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just, it's a vicious cycle mm -hmm. and it can never end it. You, cause the problem too, is you have a 35 year old kid to take that kind of situation or a 30 year old kid or whatever, and their parents are overly involved. They don't believe that they can handle the situations that they face, whether it's their job, you know, whether it's maybe they're a parent handling those situations because they are always going to that source. That's giving them some level of confidence rather than getting that confidence from within. Sure. And it's not that you don't go for support. We all need people. I mean, believe me, I would be, I'm, I need people to help me as a dad. You know, I need people to help me professionally. I need friends to help encourage me when I'm down. I mean, I need people, but it's not a codependent kind of thing where they're getting their identity out of helping me. You That's know, where the damage actually comes. You know, in this example you're talking about here, I'm just going to yeah. assume you're talking about me because I'm going to internally focus yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to take the compliment that you said 30, 35. I mean, that's what I'm going to totally do in this. Because that's, that's how old you are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I'll take that compliment. A 35-year-old living in their parents' basement. Not, yes. not necessarily a good thing. Which is, which is, you're not living in your parents' you're basement, are you? You're not supposed to tell everybody, Are you right? living in your parents' basement? Not, no, I, I got up. You pay I got, rent I got in your parents' basement. I got an upstairs room. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got an upstairs room. All right. I hope you pay rent. <laughs> so, hmm. oh, man. I mean, sometimes when I have the money. Yeah. Occasionally. That's, no. Well, you, know, right. the, you talk about parents too, is the best thing a parent can ever do to help their kids is to be happy with who they are. And kids want their parents to be happy. When parents are overly consumed in the performance of their child, that's not a person that's generally happy with who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. And so if they become confident and they become somebody that's secure in themselves, their kid's going to perform better no matter what. Yeah. You know, it's just like if somebody's marriage improves – Everything gets better with their kids. Yeah, it's I mean, it makes just, sense. And, you know, if someone's health improves, it's going to relate to not just their health, but it's going to actually relate to, let's say they lose a bunch of weight and they start running and they start doing yoga and they feel better about themselves. It's not going to just impact their health. I mean, come on. It's going to no, trickle it into everything. their professional life. It's going to go and help them relationally. It's going to potentially give them more confidence as they interact because they are maybe in, were insecure about how they looked before or how their clothes fit them. Well, Kate, you see that all the time when people get into the dieting stuff or any of the exercise stuff. It, it goes from one to the next to the next. And you make one change and you see success in one area, then it often gives you confidence to say, I can make a change in another area. So somebody says, okay, I can, let's say, stop smoking, for example. And they actually do it for, you know, six months. And they realize, man, this is hard and heck, you know, which that is a really hard thing to do. So, and then they decide, I can actually be a leader at work and not be in this position where I never want to get promoted. I can actually go and try to get to that next level on my job. And they realize they can do it because they have one area that they actually overcome. I love asking that question to people like, what is a bad habit that you have overcome? 
mm. overall, because that gives them the ability to think about a way that they have overcome something in their life. Sure. And they can't say, I don't know. You know, my clients know that you can't <laughs> say, I don't know. You know, you can say, I got to go research that or I need to go and spend some time reflecting on that. But you don't get to say, I don't know. You know I don't know to me is like, I, it's, it's just a lazy word. Well, I don't I'd, want to. I can't. It's like you're yeah. avoiding the question almost. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and adults do that even more than teenagers. And Man, although it's funny you say that because that's <laughs> exactly what some of the kids do all the time. When you ask them, you're like, why do you do this or that or whatever? And they're like, I don't know. I don't and know. It's like, no, you did it for a reason. Why did you yeah. do that? Yep. There's certain words that like all my clients to actually take out of their vocabulary. One is I think let's stop taking, let's take that out of our, out of our vocabulary. You're going to have to use that in certain situations. I get it. But instead say, I believe, I believe, you know, so I think that I, my swing is off, you know, and say, I know, I believe that this is off in my swing, or I think I messed up. No, I believe I messed up. Or I believe, cause that believe has this element of faith to it mm -hmm. and it's out of your head. It's like, I'm going to take this action and words matter and the language we use matters. And that's one thing parents have to realize is that every word they say does have weight to it. Mm. And their body language has an impact. Well, it's really interesting because, I mean, and as a parent, you know, you say, I think you're doing this, whatever, you know, incorrectly or something like that. But if you say, I believe we might be doing this incorrectly. I mean, just that change in those two are, is, is yeah. really a different statement. Almost. It is. It is. And then to take out the word, you know, I don't know, or I won't, or I must, I should, I have to. We need and, to research this. I'm, I'm, yeah. Let me look into and then even it. saying things like, I can't. That's it's right. the worst problem I run into as soon as I say, I'm like, I'm sorry, did you say you can't or you won't? Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, because you're basically saying you won't. Yeah. I can. I have options. Mm -hmm. I have choices. I will. I will train. <laughs> yeah. I will train. I won't try. I will train <laughs> there. And that makes a big difference. Just like recognizing that you're telling yourself before you get up to the plate that I got to get this perfect. I got to get this perfect. And then you replace that with. I'm growing. I'm learning. I believe. I believe I can do this. I believe I can do this. And they strike out, but still they have their head up high because they realize that I did change some things. No one knows what actually happened, even though you can get a great picture. I'm sure, you know, that is just better than you at this point right now. Right. Well, it's and really, so it's, it's a really interesting statement because it's not, I believe I can do this. Even if you don't do it, you still believe you can do it. Absolutely. You just didn't do it in that situation, but that's one of many in a process. Yeah. All right. I got, I got an interesting one for you. I kind of wanted to see how you would do this. I mean, almost might be, a, you might have to bill me for this session. We'll see what okay. happens, but I kind of wanted to tell you the player, the parent player relationship I had with my dad growing okay. up Yeah. And, and, and relating back to maybe some of the things that we can pull out on the anxiety scale and some of the pressure scale and stuff like that. Maybe kind of just see where this thing goes. So my dad coached me all growing up and my dad was great. I mean, he's really, really good at what he did. He cared a lot. I mean, all of this stuff, I'm truly like, I almost feel bad saying it because he really did. He loved us and everything we wanted to do. He wanted. He was doing the best. best he knew how. Yes. And he, and he, he, was definitely and he doing worked the best he knew hard how. and yeah. he dedicated and he did numbers and yeah. found yeah. other coaches, did everything he can to make everything work great. And looking back on it, I think the biggest thing for me I ever felt was the fact that I just... I was always so had so much anxiety because I just wanted to be perfect. I wanted to go up and just just be amazing at it. And when you're doing that, you just I mean you almost break down. 
I mean, you're just, you just know, you just can't do anything. So I, I die laughing. Baseball was his game. So now I can coach it amazing because he spent so much time on me trying to get it to work. But that one, I felt so much pressure. Then you turn around and any sport that he really didn't know that much about, like soccer, and I just went and played. And I was I was great because, I mean, I didn't yeah. have that pressure because yeah. anything I did was awesome, yep. you know, because he didn't know that one. And, you know, I mean, my dad talks since and I mean, and, and we talk coaching all the time. I mean, Kate's actually sit down when we're talking about coaching. So I just I'm kind of curious what you might say coming from hearing that kind of story and stuff. What I might say to your dad or what I might say. Either. To <laughs> okay. Either. Your dad going to listen to this podcast? He might. So, okay. Well, no, actually, my dad probably will listen to the podcast. I almost hope he listens to podcasts because, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be the man I am today if I didn't have yeah. him basically teaching me that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've and that's just really one of the challenging situations that we face in life is where somebody has high expectations and the way we interpret it, because some people have parents that have high expectations and the way they're interpreting it is they're able to shake it off and say, that's my dad's expectations and I'm going to let go. But it's hard to do that because your parents are so connected to you when you're growing up. So it's. It's a difficult thing to do. As you get older, sometimes you can as like a high a senior, junior in high school. Yeah, I do want to preface. I mean, he was very good about some of the stuff that we've talked about here. He okay. wasn't like, yeah, yeah. he wasn't like, oh, you need to be hitting this or you need to be able to do this. If anything, he was like doing the try, doing the this. But because I could feel how yeah. much it meant to him, even though he was saying and doing all the right things. And I know deep down inside, even when I was that age, that he just wanted the best for me. Right. I still couldn't help but almost put that pressure and anxiety yeah. back on me. So even as a parent yeah. and, a, and a coach, I got to find a way to almost be relaxed, even though I need them to focus. Because I, I think I went through that where it was like, right. they said all the right words, they did all the right things, but I still felt all the anxiety. And that's the thing is that we, anxiety is an emotional state. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we say. I can tell my daughter I love her and accept her, but I have to show that in how I behave towards her. So yeah. if she does get Fs, I'd have to prove I don't want her to get Fs, but I'd have to prove to her that I love her and accept her just the way that she is. And so I have to actually act as if I truly deep down believe that. So situation with your dad, you had pressure and just looking at it now, that would be such a reminder to parents that you may not realize how you're putting pressure on mm -hmm. your child by your expectations that you carry with you. And it's so much of your body language and your tone and your seriousness. And maybe you go to the games and you can't laugh and the, your child observes that you just don't have fun. I mean, it's like supposed to be fun, but it's so serious. And my child's 11 years old. And of course they're going to wonder, well, why is dad so stinking serious at these games? Yet he's all, he's fun on Sundays and we're, you know, watching NFL football and yeah. just, you know, throwing the baseball around in the backyard and not actually at a baseball game. Mm -hmm. So we got to be mindful of how we carry ourselves and know whether are we making it about us or are we making it about this child's well-being? And people could take offense to that when they hear that, but I hope it really sinks into the audience that we as parents have a responsibility to show our child that we believe in them regardless of their performance, no matter what they do, that we're going to love them and show them unconditional love. And I, as Similar to you, Nevada, I have a dad who is a very high-performing person professionally, mm -hmm. and he was kind of on his own at a younger age and had to grow up pretty fast, and then professionally in his career, I have never felt like he's not felt like I was a success, but I've put my own pressure to live up to something when I feel we're just successful in different ways. I feel I'm 
a success. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe now for the first time of my life in the last few years, I've felt like a success professionally, which is crazy to think that, but it's just taken a lot of work for me because of pressure. Cause I'm a perfectionist. Of course. I mean, I'm the seven up guy, you know, they make mm-hmm. it a seven on a scale one to 10. It's I'm a perfectionist. And it's amazing to me that you could recognize that you go out and play soccer and you would let go. You didn't have that pressure there and you were able to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And then probably were really good at that. Yet you didn't train as much for it. No, potentially not even close. Just played. not even close. Just played. And so you're able to relax, which as parents and as coaches, if we can get and help our players to learn how to relax, which is not easy, you know, it's not, but we have to be able to relax as parents. Right. So we can model that to our kids when they see us complaining about our job and worried about the presentation we have the next day and consumed and worry and workaholism. And they get that and they glean that from us as parents, then they're going to have that same kind of mentality and take that with them and whatever they do as well. It's just the way it works. You're the number one role model in their life. So is there maybe right. some perspective scenarios that we can pull yeah. out to where we can say, yeah. you know what? Things are actually really good. Let's just see what yeah. we can, how we can make them better. Oh my gosh, there are. And I really wasn't, because I would say that eight years ago, I felt like, like a success. And what happened is, is that when my personal life started to unravel, I internalized that as it was related to, and it was called, you know, it was, I personalized it, but I made it pervade. Pervasiveness is a real form and cause of anxiety. It pervaded my entire life. So I would look at everything through the lens of one part of my life not going well, so other parts aren't going well. And then I started to view it as being permanent. So it really took me a while to get back out of that. Because I would say that I felt professionally as a success. I take that back. Eight years ago, I would have said, man, I'm everything is great. And so how would we get ourselves, not everything's perfect by any means, but just felt like things were going well. And how do we get ourselves in a, make a perspective shift? Well, one great thing you can do is, is gratitude. And this is, and of course, I mean, if you, every day in the morning, you write down five things from the day before that were positive in your life and you discipline yourself to do that. And then five things you're excited about today. That's one exercise you can do. One that I really love that I've been practicing more recently is I start to look at all the different areas of my life. So what is something that's going well? and write in my, in, with my health. Mm. And then I can write something physically down. So I'm a fan of physically writing it down. Psychologically, if I was coaching a softball team, I'd buy them all a green journal. And green just because that's my favorite, second favorite color. Blue so we, is my so first we color. Buy, so we can buy blue or we whatever. can buy like red. Well, blue and green, yeah, and whatever you want. But okay. to get people to write things down, because we know that psychologically when you have pen to paper, which I got a nice pen here and I have a journal that I carry with me pretty much wherever I go and write it down and actually know that this is something tangible I can look at. My health, I am grateful that I have the usage of both of my hands and both of them work because I know people that don't have usage of both of their hands. And then I look at like the family and friends category and I'm, I'm grateful for my friend Ben and for how we've been friends since fifth grade. And sometimes I'm writing the same types of things down and then I will close my eyes or I'll go on a walk or I'll just take my dog out to use the restroom. And it takes five minutes sometimes cause he's old and he walks around and, you know, sniffs before he uses the restroom. I get upset with my daughter. I'm like, Cause then he'll end up like having to go out like 10 minutes after she took him out. And I'm like, you didn't wait long enough, (laughs) but then I'll focus and breathe and internalize. Sometimes shut my eyes and just think about, and that there's a power within me that is going to be coming from this place of I life is good. I've never had it so good. I mean, that's the reality. It's like you can go from thinking your life is horrible. And then five minutes later to be realizing that your life is actually really good. Yeah. 
perspective is something you have to always work on. You have to work on it as if your life depends on it because it actually really does. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing that you have more influence over than your actions, what you do with your body physically, and what you actually focus on, which is your perspective. You don't have a lot of influence over a lot of other things. Because I will tell you that I've known millionaires that have lost everything and they've lost it. And maybe they made some decisions to over leverage and then the economy shifted, but they've lost money even just because there was a change in the leadership of the organization and they lost their job. I mean, I've heard about a guy that recently, he was one of the people that started Apple and that when Apple started, Steve Jobs decided to give the initial this is back when the first Apple started. Mm -hmm. He decided to give shares to certain people. Steve Wozniak was one of them. And I don't mm -hmm. know how he had more power in that situation, but these people were all left basically without shares. And then they were sold shares from Steve Wozniak at a really, really cheap price. So they ended up having some money, but I'm sure they're looking and thinking, I should be a billionaire, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm not because of this one decision that was made that I had no control over legally to make yeah. because we had voted this person into a leadership position. And when the IPO occurred, he had the rights to make those decisions. We don't have as much power and control as we really think, but we can take care of our bodies and we can take care of our minds and we can be around good, positive people. And we can choose to identify when we're negative and try to snap out of it by doing something physical or active or, and we can decide to believe the best about ourselves and not focus on the worst in ourselves. And we still have, we have, so we have so much power. That's why I love. And another thing I would do that's a real big perspective shift is when you have these three big negative self-worth things, I'm unlovable, I'm, I'm worthless and I'm helpless. And so you read my journal. I read your journal. Exactly. <laughs> I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. I'm helpless. Well, it's, I read everybody's journal because everybody <laughs> writes that in their journal. If they're really being honest with themselves yeah. when they're journaling. <laughs> so, they do. you know, they do. That's why everybody's so like, oh my gosh, I have like, I will give you a $50 reward if you don't read it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't read that. It's his $50 reward. But, you know, I mean, I have lost some journals. I don't want anyone to find them, but I'll write that kind of stuff because that's what you want to do in a journal is be honest about what you're really thinking and feeling. Yeah. And then you can figure out a way to say, okay, I'm powerful. I'm worthy. And I am lovable to the right people. And the right people are going to love me just for who I I am not for what I do and not for what I give them. You know, I can, as I've gotten older, I'm going to be 50 in seven months, six months. I got a lot of, I got a lot to do in the next six months, six, seven months. Cause I have some goals I haven't achieved like shooting in the eighties consistently. But if you can tell yourself and look at yourself and even on your phone, I mean, somehow get physically in front of the mirror and say that hey, I'm lovable. I'm worthy. You know, I'm not helpless and say good things about yourself but to know what you really have as traits. I mean, any client that's ever hired me has gotten that spiel from me. I mean, we have to figure out what is intrinsic that you like about yourself. And we have to figure out how we can get your, your mind off of that stuff that's negative and onto this stuff that is really inside of you. No one can take away. No. Regardless of the circumstances that happen in your life, you know, that are out of your control in a lot of situations because other people can make decisions that, you know, can be ones that change your life. And so it's, like, and I've had the privilege and honor of working with people that have been involved in traumatic situations that had no, they had no control over it. I mean, being involved in, in shootings and, and when they're, when they're an employee at a bank and, and not a, not a pretty site where people, many, multiple people have died of being in situations where they've been abandoned by their father at a young age and never heard from him again. 
and then reach out when they're, you know, their father's finally find them when their father's 80 years old. And, you know, those kinds of things they, as a kid, had no influence over whatsoever. I think I would find that very interesting. I've seriously seen people that have like, it almost seemed to catapult them up and some people almost seem to break all the that way down. That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like the old story, you know, somebody grows up with an alcoholic father, two twins grow up with an alcoholic father. Guy just drunk and mean and nasty and just not a good dad. Dad dies at a young age. And then when those two twins are 32, they get one of them's an alcoholic. His life's in shambles. He's been married twice. Doesn't have a good relationship with his two kids. Mm -hmm. And the other one's has a successful business. Has won't a good, solid won't touch a drop of alcohol. No, I mean, he will, but just not a lot. Has mm -hmm. a couple beers every now and then kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Glass of wine. And you ask him, you know, well, why are you, the S1 brother, why are you an alcoholic? Oh, because of my dad, you know, look mm -hmm. what happened to me. I mean, the horrible stuff that we went through. And he asks the other brother, you know, why are you success? And he says, because of my dad, you know, look at the challenging stuff I had to go through. And I want to make sure I wasn't going to be like that. Well, or I learned some lessons of things not to do. And even when you have an alcoholic father, I mean, you can look and say, because I believe truly there's a bit and there's, there's good, there's a bit of good in all of us and a bit of bad in all of us. I mean, everybody's got good. And everybody's got bad. And some people who are psychopaths, they've just fed the bad for so long that they become BTK. Or, you know, it's mm. it's in people who have trauma, they can turn it to something that sells them consistently they're unworthy, or they can turn it and say, it's not me. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. You know, and so, but the alcoholic parent, I guarantee, has a lot of good in them. And those are the things you want to remember and things they tried to do. And the great parent, like, Adam Sandler's dad seems like a great guy. I'm sure he had some bad in him. And there were times and things he said that weren't good. I hope Adam Sandler's not listening. But if he is, I mean, share this podcast I, with I your friends. I hope he is listening. I hope he is listening, too. Yeah. Adam, Adam That'd be sit. cool, man. You got any other points you want to go over on this one? I think you got all the ones I really wanted to go over. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's just, there's so much to this. As a parent, I think when they listen to stuff like this, they can get really discouraged and think I've made so many mistakes because I've done it wrong. Which is one of the challenges of listening to good information, which, okay, I guess I'm flattering myself, but I believe there's value to this information here. And so people, and there's truth to the information we're sharing here. So you could look at that and say, well, I mean, I've already made too many mistakes and kind of throw my hands up and I can't really correct it now. My son's 15 and I've been doing this stuff for his whole life, right? And so I would challenge all the listeners to say, well, now is the time to start because things, it is, ama it is amazing the amount of change that can happen in a year when we act as if nothing can really change or we sometimes will say like so much can change in a week, you know, really not a lot can change in a week, but you can start habits that can start changing things that are going to make significant changes in three months. Mm. And if you make these kind of changes over a six month period of time and you start affirming and taking yourself out of their performance and realizing it's about character, it's about merit. It's not about their performance. It's not about a scholarship. It's about their character. It's about their long-term well-being. Yeah. And you can make it not about you and start changing that inside yourself and start changing that in the way you interact. Then you are going to have a significant impact. Even if they're 17, 18, 19, even if they're in college, if they're 25, 30, it doesn't matter what age they are. You can change now. You can change now. And one of my core values is always hope. Mm -hmm. So when older people, and I define, well, let's say someone's 75 and saying they can't change right now. I got a huge problem with that Yeah, because you can, if you want to. And I see way too many people who want to make, who do make changes because they want to. Sometimes they're forced to because they have a heart attack or their doctor tells them they're going to die. 
if they don't stop eating this crap that they're putting in their body and they actually go ahead and say, I want to be there for my grandkids. And they change because, and that's kind of fear-based external motivation, but that's not going to last long-term unless it shifts to this inside of me. I want to be the best person I can be for my kids because I love myself because me loving myself is going to have the biggest, biggest impact on my kids. And so it becomes this selfishness for the self it's for myself because I can be the best for other people and be a light in dark places. Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting when they, I know the people talking about always say like they can't change. You're constantly changing. Everything around you is changing. The people are changing. The place Everything's changing. changing. Everything. You're changing all the time. And so when you're like, it's been too long, it's just the way it is. It is no, changed. that is again, almost like the, I try. Oh my gosh. Are, yeah. It's like, no, believe you can change something. Absolutely. And you can hear information like this and then you get all kinds of information from external sources all the time, all this kind of information. But then you hear something and it resonates and it's this inspiration. And so for everyone listening here, you go with what is inspiring from today and you make that change. And then, cause we can be so stinking indecisive. We can say, yeah, I'm going to make these changes with my kids. I just know this stuff is true. I've been too hard on them. It's been about me. They're going to perform better when I start just giving this unconditional acceptance and everything. And really they, th th that's information that they have. And if it's also mixing in with inspiration, then go with that. Cause you're going to wake up tomorrow or you're going to go coach the next, the team the next week, or you're going to go talk to your kids the next day. And you're going to forget all that stuff. Unless it becomes inspiration in spirit yeah. within, not this mental thing. Cause that's why we're so stinking indecisive is because we're just stuck in our heads mm -hmm. and our heads are lying to us. Cause 95% of that crap in there isn't true. It's just stuff from our past. It's yeah. just stuff we've been told. It's just stuff the media puts in our heads. It's just stuff that our parents put in our heads. You know, even though it was intention, their intentions were good to help us. We can still get a bunch of crap from all kinds of sources, yeah. but there's truth that's going to just last. And so take the truth from today and apply that and write it down somewhere so you can make a commitment and apply it right away. Like apply it today. Go tell your kids you love them regardless of how they perform. Yeah. You know, you just say the words, give them a hug. No, just you do know? what you can to make anything better. That's why <laughs> take I, an all, action. You all, got the, to. all the kids we're coaching. I'm always just like, I just want them to be successful and going forward as much as they possibly can. Oh, and you see those basketball coaches that do that. John Wooden was like that. He made it his priority that you as my player, my number one priority, and they saw it in him. You see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talk about John Wooden. Mm -hmm. You see people who have played for him, and they will tell you, you know, that he cared about us as people and wanted us to succeed as people. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's why they won nine championships, <laughs> primarily more than anything. Well, that could have been his training <laughs> the entire time was learning how to connect that way. Oh, absolutely. And he did it. And he did it in an amazing way, regardless of the differences of whatever background or anything. I mean, he was a great man and he had to train to get there. He was disciplined, but he was relatable. He wasn't perfect though. Yeah, guys, I it mean, was a great show. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. You guys have a good one. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Adam. Yeah. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.